From the Heart.org Radio, this is The Fellow's Corner. Hi, my name is Dr. Aaron Gorodesky. I'm a cardiology fellow and uh, a moderator at TheHeart.org. I'm here on the convention floor of uh, the ACC Chicago 2008, talking to Dr. Jen Weber, who is the chief of the Division of Cardiology at um, Our Lady of Lords Medical Center in uh, New Jersey. Um, and the topic of our conversation today is going to be about private practice cardiology. Dr. Weber, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, let me just jump into my first question. In your opinion, what is the, the fundamental difference between a career in private practice cardiology and a career in uh, academic cardiology? And there are quite a few differences that uh, immediately come to mind. Uh, the, uh, the primary difference, I think, is that uh, you are much more on your own in terms of maintaining your skill sets and your, your fund of knowledge. Once you get out, um, there aren't people there directing you in how to get smarter and how to learn about the new interventions and the new devices and the new medications that are coming along. And so um, you have to be much more self-motivated in terms of education. Um, and I think that's an important consideration when thinking about joining a private practice group is uh, determining when, you, uh, when you're getting to know the folks in that group exactly how interested are they in self-education. Uh, there are many private practices where attending a meeting every year at, at a minimum um, is mandatory and of course funded and uh, other practices even require additional meetings in your subspecialty area so that you get an opportunity to, for example, attend uh, not only ACC or AHA, but also TCT uh, or All That Jazz or one of the other focused symposia that are um, available. Uh, the, um, the, the, but in terms of uh, what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, there's a striking difference because much like the educational component, of what you're going to be doing in that setting, uh, your income and your um, contribution to your group uh, are totally dependent on self-motivation. Uh, there's not going to be someone there telling you um, what to do next. You have to have a pretty good understanding of what your job is, what the expectations are, and then you have to do your best to make sure that you are fulfilling those obligations to the best of your ability. Um. Many of the, the fellows who uh, read the Fellows Corner and are going to be watching this recording um, are wondering what are the, the skill sets, what are the, the subspecialties within cardiology that, that are hot right now that, that people like you in private practice are looking for so we can b better prepare ourselves? An important question because, uh, as you know, there have been some striking changes in um, the practice of cardiology, especially in the last few years uh, since. Uh, uh, the difficulties that were encountered with the instant uh, uh, restenosis and thrombosis uh, were in, uh, encountered and uh, the um, publication of information suggesting that angioplasty may not be much better than good medical therapy, uh, the country as a whole has seen about a 12 to 15 percent decrease in the, the number of angioplasty procedures being done annually and that's two years in a row now so it's beginning to look like a trend. Uh, in New Jersey that number is 17 percent and at our institution um, last year we saw a 25 percent drop in interventional cardiology and a, about 
12% so far year to date. So um, what seemed like a slam dunk a few years ago, and that is to say, if you're well-trained in interventional cardiology, you were set for life, may not be as certain as it was once thought. Um, the hottest area right now for us is electrophysiology. We have seen growth uh, in our program uh, of astronomical amounts. Uh, and now with uh, uh, AFib ablation being a possibility, uh, the mapping technologies that are available, uh, available and the new tools that seem to be coming along almost every day, um, it's very difficult to find a good, well-trained electrophysiologist to join any one of our practices. And we have about 100 cardiologists on our, practice, uh, on our uh, staff right now, each in one of three or four very large groups. And um, finding an, a good EP person has taken them as much as a year in some cases to, to, uh, to locate a person they think that will, will fit in with their, their group philosophy. Um, the, the other area I think that there's probably going to be a, a widespread interest in is a, a new uh, sub-subspecialty, if, if you will, that's being developed in um, uh, advanced congestive heart failure treatment. Uh, the, the number of people with heart failure in this country continues to grow as we keep patients from dying of heart attacks. Uh, the uh, my myopathies that develop as a course in the course of the aging process are going to become more and more prevalent, and the population is aging, at, and the at-risk population is growing at the same time. So I would have to say that at this point, if I were um, uh, in a, a training program, I would be thinking in terms of looking at advanced heart failure or electrophysiology as a real growth area, but there is always room for a good clinical cardiologist. Uh, the, 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 the non-invasive cardiologist who is happy with dealing with patients and enjoys the interactions that are not so technically oriented, uh, those types of people are treasures. And if you have a few of those in your group, um, uh, they, are, they are treated very well simply because that's where it all starts. They're the top of the funnel that brings the rest of those patients into the areas of the subspecialists that are in your group. So if that's what you like and, you're, and you enjoy uh, interactions uh, and problem solving rather than the technical aspects of, of uh, cardiology, uh, there's plenty of room there as well. For those fellows going into EP, are you guys specifically interviewing and looking for people who can do AFib ablations? Well, at this point, atrial fibrillation uh, is, I think, in its still still in its growth phase. Um, I don't. I think that there is there electrophysiology pretty much has divided itself into two camps. You have the implants and arrhythmia devices, and then you have the ablation uh, 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 procedures. Um, more and more, I see people that are are specifically focused on one area or the other. The reality is, I think that um, for most practices, you're going to have to be able to have the ability to, to handle both sides of that equation. In programs like ours, where each of the groups have several electrophysiologists, they've been able to sort of divide themselves into those camps. But the typical electrophysiologist in practice will be able to should be able to do both of those things, and. Um, I think that atrial fibrillation uh, um, is going to be a, continue to be a growth industry. Um, we've had very good results um, and a high level of patient satisfaction, uh, and the technology continues to improve uh, with each passing year. So uh, I think that 
it would be difficult to imagine a group right now hiring someone out of a fellowship who hadn't been trained in AF ablation. Um, but those that are in the practice now don't necessarily have that skill. Interesting. Let me switch gears a bit and ask you a question about what that's on many people's minds, at least the fellows, and that is uh, the negotiation process and that first interview for, the, for uh, a job. Um, what, what, what advice can you give us um, and, and the audience um, about negotiating that first contract? Well, I think that at this time, uh, in most parts of the country, you're, you're in a very admirable position as a fellow because if you have uh, the right personality and the, the proper credentials um, and, uh, and have maintained a good record throughout your fellowship and come with good recommendations, uh, you're going to probably get a, a number of offers to choose, to, uh, to choose between. Um, and uh, we, we've had some of our cardiologists re uh, in recent years lament the fact that they didn't feel like they were entering, interviewing the fellow as much as the fellow was interviewing them. And I think it is important for you to be able to ask the, the questions that are important to you. Um, first of all, someone who's asking good questions of the person who's interviewing them is viewed as being someone who's got a little bit of insight into what they're looking for. If you don't know what you're looking for and you come in with sort of an ambivalence about what you really want out of your career, the person who's looking at you is not going to be as convinced that you're the right person for that job. So when if you want to get into a really busy practice and, and, and you're a workaholic and you want to get to the lab at 7 and you want to work until all the patients on earth are cured and then start over the next day and do it again, um, you should be asking questions about the other people in the practice, whether those individuals have that share that mentality otherwise you'll end up carrying the weight of the practice and th that will wear you down eventually believe me it doesn't always stay fun mm -hmm. um, the other and the and the other extreme is um, if uh, if you are not if you are a workaholic and and that's what you like uh, I probably wouldn't take a job in a small hospital in Montana somewhere you have to match the geography the type of hospitals that you'll be working in, um, the other members of the group, you need to know something about them. And it's not always easy to get that information from an interview, um, but I think that dialogue should start at that point. You need to find out um, you know, how much do all the guys take all their vacation every year, or do they ra would they rather skip it and stay? Or is it impossible to get away because the practice is too busy? Uh, remember, if someone's hiring you, it probably means their practice is already busy enough that they think they need help. Their disappointment will be that in a typical, say, four- or five-man group, adding another person to the group only decreases the work of each individual by roughly 10%. And that's transient, because as soon as you develop your own practice, the, pr the practice will grow, and that void will be filled and eventually everybody will be doing the same amount of work they were in the first place. So, so um, don't be surprised if uh, there's some initial dismay after you do get that job of, of, of the year um, that you're not getting all the accolades that you thought you might get because you've come in from the outside with all this uh, university-based knowledge. Um, but I think that uh, the, the important thing is to try to find out whether you fit into that group. 
Uh, also remember that there are a lot of people for whom the first job they take is not the one they end up in. Uh, uh, one of my mentors gave me that advice when I was looking for a fellowship um, um, uh, two or three years ago, I think it was, or <laughs> perhaps more. Um, but he said, it, remember, it's not the first job that you take that's the important one. It's the second job that's the important one. Uh, so um, you know, keep that in mind and, and, and remember that you're really going to be auditioning the group and they're going to be auditioning you during the first year. And if it all works out, it's sort of like uh, at that point, the, the, the fundamental decision will be made as to whether you're going to stay or not. Um, the other thing I would suggest that everybody t uh, pay attention to is exactly how much of their area of focus they'll be able to stay uh, involved with. Um, if you've trained as an interventional fellow and you uh, can handle every device that's ever been made with, uh, with the skill of, of uh, uh, Vladimir Horowitz at the piano, that's good, but if they're going to be expecting you to take emergency room call for heart attacks and uh, uh, for heart failure, and you're going to have to be able to read echoes and EKGs every fourth day and all of those sorts of things, you may find yourself being a multifunctional cardiologist when your initial intention was to be really focused on one area. So um, to, to, uh, to support that kind of a uh, a lifestyle and a career choice, you really have to have a group that will allow you to flourish in that one very focused area. So find out what the job entails. Is it, are you going to be a, a, um, a, an all, a multifunctional individual or will you be able to focus and then rely on others to do the other aspects of, of uh, cardiac care? So depending on what you want out of your career, I think you need to ask those questions up front. Fair enough. Let me ask you one final question before we finish, and uh, I'm really trying to get you to give your secrets away here. What are what are the um, the the most common mistakes uh, a fellow coming out of fellowship who's interviewing with you makes during that negotiation or that interview process? I I think that the biggest uh, turnoff for me is uh, is the individual uh, who has an attitude that they're going to be coming to the new position to, to teach everybody else how it's done. Uh, it, the academic environment does put you at the top of your game. You've just studied for your boards uh, or are studying for your boards. Um, uh, those types of uh, uh, knowledge bases and your skills are going to be very good, but what you don't have at that point is the five or 10 years of experience that will teach you how to deal with catastrophes that you may not have yet encountered. And uh, to, to come to a position thinking that you can handle everything is a mistake. I think you need to be, a, to a degree, um, you need to be assertive, but you don't need to be aggressive. And, and an aggressive person who leads, wants me to believe that they can handle just about anything that we can throw at them um, has a lot to learn. And you can overdo that. If you're, if you're too cocky, uh, if, you, if you give people the idea you've got a lot of other offers that are really good and you're not sure whether you want this one or not, um, you're, you're heading in the wrong direction. At, while you're doing the interviewing, you should be there to learn, uh, not to teach. And um, and if you 
remember, these are people who are selecting you almost to be a part of their brotherhood and sisterhood. They, right. you're, you're being welcomed into the family. And you don't want someone in the family who you wouldn't want to have dinner with. So uh, think of it in those terms and, uh, uh, and, and, uh, and don't be afraid to express what it is that you feel you're not that good at. Make sure that those, uh, those things are identified because the reality is if they're identified after you've been hired, it's much more difficult to extract yourself than it is to avoid the situation in the first place. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Hope to talk again soon. You've been listening to The Fellows Corner on theheart.org radio.